Just a quick disclaimer this week, there are some adult themes. Nothing graphic, but check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Gawain and Kay's road trip to stay with a guy named Carl. We'll learn that if your Airbnb is primarily known for murdering guests, you might want to pass on that one. And we'll learn how friends help friends throw spears through each other's faces. The creature this week is Star Monkey, who enjoys a tall glass of blood before going to poison a whole village. This is Myths and Legends, episode 138, Carl. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is another one that exists outside of our Arthurian continuity. If this is your first time hearing an Arthur legend on the show, the King Arthur stories take place roughly in the 600s AD in Great Britain. Arthur was raised in secret with his adopted brother, Kay. Arthur pulled the sword from the stone, a whole bunch of other stuff happened, and eventually he ruled over a semi-peaceful Great Britain. Kay became his right-hand man, and we met Sir Gawain, his current MBK. Gawain, of course, is his nephew by way of his half-sister, Morgoth. And at the start of today's story, Kay and Gawain are looking forward to a hunting trip with King Arthur. That is, until he invites some friends. When Arthur said, you know, fun, low-key, boys' night hunting trip, Gawain said, as he looked on the crowd gathered outside Cardiff and Wales, you didn't think he meant 500 armed and mounted knights riding into the forest in numbers so great that the dear population of Great Britain might never recover? Yeah, try planning it, Sir Kay remarked, before taking a long, long drink from his wineskin. Anyway, there's the horn. Let's do this. Everyone who was anyone galloped off at the sound of the horn. 500 horses and probably twice as many squires and servants. Gawain and Kay decided to stick together. And neither of them objected when Bishop Baldwin rode up and asked if he could ride with them too. Kay was worn out from event planning and Gawain, well, Gawain didn't really need the glory of the hunt. He was widely known as the best knight in the world, despite some French upstart named Lancelot nipping at his heels. 500 people galloping into the forest would scare every deer on the island. He would just try to enjoy the ride in the country with Arthur's brother. Yeah, you know what Seneschal means? Sir Kay asked Gawain as the sun began to sink lower in the sky. It comes from a French word that means doesn't sleep in the dirt. We're going to keep riding until we find a castle. I thought it meant that you were my uncle, King Arthur's right-hand man, Gawain said, without looking at the knight. Kay shot him a wrinkled look. I thought it was because you're Arthur's right-hand man, Kay scoffed. That's you. That's how you sound. It was a rhetorical statement, Gawain. A voice chimed in from behind them. Uh, if they were looking for some place for the night, there was always Carl's place. It was the castle of Carlisle. Gawain looked at Kay. Did he know of any knight or nobleman by the name of, what was it, Sir Carl? Nope, nope, the bishop quickly corrected. Not Sir Carl, just Carl. He's not a nobleman or a knight, it's just Carl. Kay was confused. So, he was just some guy? How did that work? 
Bishop Baldwin shrugged. Well, in that world, there seemed to be a line between the known and the unknown. Civilization and the wilderness. There was a weird, otherworldly Britain. Like, you know how once you cross the line, there are giants, green knights that can survive beheading, lion best friends, and apparently, the ability for just some guy named Carl to have his own castle. Well, gentlemen, welcome to the Twilight Zone. And that's actually doubly true because it's twilight, and we really need to find a place to sleep. Gwen held up a hand. He'd had some experiences in the weirder parts of this island already. Tonight, he just wanted to sleep around a campfire in the forest and head back tomorrow. But as the thunder ricocheted through the sky and a sheet of rain pummeled down on them just as soon as Gawain finished his sentence, Gawain found that he was outnumbered two to one. Carl's place it was. With more lightning cracks lighting up the pouring rain, the trio looked to the castle glowing in the darkness ahead. They rode up to the gate, and as Gawain was about to knock, the bishop mentioned another, just tiny detail that he had forgotten earlier. Uh, so every knight that has ever gone into Carl's castle has died. All eyes turned to the unbelievable bishop. Yeah, he was really sorry he didn't mention it earlier. He was just happy to be contributing. Kay laughed. So what? This was just some guy named Carl. They were Kay and Gawain, two of the bravest knights in Christendom. Gawain and Bishop Baldwin looked at each other, sharing a glance that said about half of that statement was true. Gawain and Bishop Baldwin looked at each other, sharing a glance that said about half of that statement was true. Kay continued saying that if this Carl tried anything, they'd beat him to within an inch of his life and take his castle, because they're the good guys. Gawain stared at Kay and picked up the hammer hanging on the chain to knock on the door. If Carl let them in and gave them food and bed for the night, they wouldn't touch him. Seriously, this was the Middle Ages and hospitality was still ridiculously important. Oh, hey guys, how can I help you? A porter greeted a few minutes later, through a tiny hatch from the other side of the door. Gawain bowed low before the man, saying that he beseeched the lord of this castle to give them shelter for the night. The porter scratched his forehead, looking back to the castle, and sighed. They wanted him to talk to Carl? Look, they all looked like nice, respectable knights and all, so he was going to level with them. Carl? Carl was not a nice guy, man. He didn't do courtesy or chivalry or anything like that. If they stayed the night there, they were in for a bad time. And not like lumpy bed and stale continental breakfast bad time, but the porter will be dragging out their bodies in the morning bad time. Kay put his hand to his sword, declaring that he wouldn't trade words with a porter anymore. It was rainy and he was cold. He needed to go take their message to the lord of the castle. Ooh, once again, really feel like you're not hearing me here. He's not a lord. I wouldn't call him a lord within earshot. He's Carl. And don't stab the messenger. Huh, doesn't really have the same ring to it. Well, whatever. It's your literal funeral. I'm sorry you've come here, and by morning, you will be too. With that, the porter closed the hatch. After a few moments, he yelled to the men above the wall to raise the gate. Carl had granted them his... hospitality. Gawain, Kay, and Bishop Baldwin all handed off their horses to people who wouldn't meet their eyes. They followed the porter into the main hall. As soon as their eyes adjusted to the light, they froze. What? What was that? There was a chair facing a fire. A large, high-backed chair. It was massive. And it was the least interesting thing about the room, because, flanking the chair and seated around the fire, were four animals. A full-grown bull, a bear, 
a boar, and a lion. When they saw the visitors arrive, they rushed them like an eager dog rushes a guest. Unfortunately, they were slightly different from an eager dog, in that the bear and lion were snarling, the bull was snorting, and the boar was wetting his tusks against the floor to sharpen them for the kill. Immediately, the bishop prayed. Gawain readied his sword for the last fight of his entire life, and Kay also readied his sword, but bravely took a half-step behind Gawain. That was when a voice boomed from the fire. Down, down, get back. When the animals heard the sound of that voice, they instantly broke in terror away from the guests and bolted to nearby tables where they cowered in terror away from the one who rose by the fire. Hey, sorry, I'm training them not to jump up and, you know, maul guests, said the formidable silhouette walking toward them. And why are you kneeling? Who told you to kneel? The bishop slapped Gawain on the back. Why was Gawain kneeling? This guy not being a nobleman was his whole thing. And as Gawain and Bishop Baldwin's eyes met Carl's, they realized that maybe being a 12-foot-tall wall of muscle might also be his thing. Carl urged Gawain to stand. He lodged with no nobleman tonight. He would receive no courtesy, except ruffian courtesy here, and... Porter, seriously, why are you still standing there? The ferocious pet charge thing was your cue. Go get the wine. That's when Kay, Gawain, and Bishop Baldwin looked at the wine being carted out. In four goblets that held about four gallons of wine each. Carl stared at the porter. Really? Four gallons? What was this, a drink for ants? Get the good one, his normal one. As fast as they could, the servants wheeled Carl's normal nine-gallon goblet out. He picked it up with one hand and told his guest to please drink up. Gawain stared at the sea of wine before him. Could you get like a straw or something? No? Cool? He was looking forward to ruining his shirt with a four-gallon bucket of wine anyway. While they awkwardly drank together, Bishop Baldwin excused himself to go check on his horse. It wasn't three minutes before they heard a slap and a whinny. And then the bishop returned with a furrowed brow. He couldn't believe it. The full of a commoner eating next to his horse. He was the Bishop of Great Britain. Carl put down his wine big gulp and calmly walked over to the bishop. Carl had heard a slap and a whinny, what had the bishop done? Bishop Baldwin looked up into the eyes of the man who was over twice his height. The horse of a commoner didn't get to eat next to the horse of a bishop, so he corrected the error. He'd opened the door to the stables and slapped the horse to get him to run off. Carl pursed his lips. All right, well, a slap for a slap then. He raised his hand above his head, but the bishop begged him to stop. He was a man of God. Carl's eyes grew wide then act like one. Kay had just put down his goblet when a slap landed with enough force to knock the bishop out. Gawain ran to the bishop, who was out cold on the stone floor. Kay winced. Yeah, that's really bad for you. Then, a more alarming thought than an elderly bishop getting a concussion and dropping to a stone floor came to mind. His horse. His horse might be eating next to that of a lowly commoner, like Carl. He rose and also ran to the stables. While Carl was resuming his nine-gallon drink, and Gawain was dragging the bishop to one of the couches without an apex predator hiding underneath it, Carl heard another slap and a snort from outside. Kay came in smiling and smugly brushed off his hands. Done and done. Get this. Carl's colt, yeah, Carl's, 
had been eating alongside his steed. Took care of that. As the twelve-foot-tall Carl rose and loomed over Kay, Kay laughed in his face. What was this commoner, this wannabe lore, going to do with Kay? King Arthur's seneschal. Slap him? No, Carl replied. Without warning, the commoner's left hook came in strong. Kay, too, dropped like a sack of potatoes to the stone. Gawain dragged his, well, friend would be a strong word for Kay. Let's say he dragged his work acquaintance to the couch next to the bishop and left to check on the horses. Carl flexed his knuckles, readying himself for the next time. But Gawain took a lot longer. When Carl finally went out looking for him, he was in the stable, soaking wet, feeding hay to the panicked foal and the angry colt that he had gone out into the storm to find. When he saw Carl watching him as he made his way back to the main hall, Gawain nodded and went to go help his friends. Kay and the bishop, both awake after having the taste slapped out of their mouth by a burly commoner, had a couple of different takes on what happened. The bishop used the helpful instruction by means of the back of the Carl's hand to rethink some of his preconceived notions on class. Kay, however, yawned. After a long day of riding, and the equivalent of a couple of bottles of wine from the vat, he said he just took an impromptu nap. Because, seeing as he was King Arthur's seneschal and a famous knight, no other explanation really made sense to him. Certainly not that he had been knocked out cold in one punch from a commoner. Oh, hey, dinner? As Kay wiggled a tooth in his mouth and staggered to the table, he took a seat next to one of the most beautiful women he had ever seen. He introduced himself as Sir Kay the seneschal of King Arthur, the king who ruled over these lands. She introduced herself as Mrs. Carl. Now, if I had just woken up after being hit by a 12-foot tall guy, I would probably not hit on his wife or insult him, especially as he sat across the table from me. But Kay had another idea. He was going to do both of those things at once. He said it was too bad that this lovely lady was shackled to such a fiend. Gawain facepalmed from the edge of the room and Carl stood ominously. Why was Gawain not coming to dinner? Did he, like his two friends, think that he was too good for Carl's table? Gawain sighed. It wasn't that. He didn't take a seat because he couldn't. He hadn't been asked to the table by the, Lord, by the master of the house. Carl smiled. Always with the courtesy, this one. Carl didn't follow it, but he knew it. As the commoner strode over to Gawain, he asked about courtesy. If the master of the house asked you to do something, you had to do it, correct? Gawain looked at Kay and Bishop Baldwin, who, despite their splitting headaches, were digging into an awesome meal and barely paying attention. Gawain looked back to Carl. Yeah, that was the rule. Carl snapped his fingers, and the porter came in with a spear and placed it in Gawain's hands. Carl told Gawain to hit him, stand back by the door that led to the buttery, and throw the spear at his face. With that, Kay and Baldwin stopped eating, and they were now paying close attention to Gawain and Carl. With his black eye and fat lip, Kay was egging Gawain on. Bishop Baldwin, though he had been hit, was a man of God. It wouldn't condone such wanton violence. But yeah, yeah, Gawain should totally do it. Gawain nodded. He was a guest in this man's house, so logic obviously followed that he should throw a spear at the man's face. Still, after Kay and Baldwin's treatment up to this point, 
Gawain couldn't imagine what was in store for him after throwing a spear through Carl's face. He stood, his back to the buttery door, which, by the way, was a door to the room where they kept food for guests and not a buttery door. Gawain looked on Carl's grinning face, poised the spear, and threw. Stories conflict on what exactly happened next. Some say that the spear stuck in Carl's face, but he just pulled it out and was fine. Others say that he dodged the spear, and it shattered on the wall. The main text I'm following doesn't explicitly say anything. It says that Gawain accurately threw the spear at Carl's head, and the spear shattered on the stones behind him. Given that it shatters, I don't think it makes sense to have it stick in Carl's head at all, and I don't want Gawain and Kay to think he's some sort of illusion. So we're just going to go with him dodging the spear at the last possible moment. So Kay and Baldwin, a bit disappointed not to see a man impaled by a spear to the face over dinner, went back to their food. Carl snapped his fingers, and several servants immediately appeared to collect the spear bits. The host finally invited Gawain to dinner, asking him to sit down next to him, and across from his wife. Gawain was a more tactful knight than Kay, but he also shared the man's feelings toward the woman. She was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. He was so enraptured by her beauty that he blinked, and the servants were clearing the table. Gawain's cheeks grew red, as Gawain noticed Carl staring at Gawain, staring at Carl's wife. Sin is sweet, Carl said, musing aloud while leaning back in front of an empty plate. But she's mine. Leave such thoughts and drink your wine, knight. You will not have her. Gawain's face lit up with shame. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't like that. She was beautiful, of course, but he wasn't thinking... Carl slapped him on the back. Of course he wasn't. Of course he wasn't. He turned to the door and bellowed. Music. Now, a younger girl, probably around 17 or 18, arrived in the room and bowed to Carl and the knights. She looked a lot like Carl's wife, but younger. She began plucking her harp and singing a song about the glory of King Arthur's court, and the five dinner attendees listened on. Kay was the first one to start nodding off, and then Baldwin. It might have been the meal or the wine or the music, but it was time for bed, and Carl stood. He helped both men to their feet, and led the visitors down the long corridor. Kay and Baldwin walked straight into their small, simple rooms, thinking about nothing but collapsing onto soft beds. Gawain, however, was wary. This house was stranger than ever. And this Carl? He was monstrous. As he walked deeper into the castle, Gawain wondered what horrors this night held. Wait, this is my room? Gawain asked studying the massive, gold-encrusted suite with tapestries, and right before the bed was a couch draped with a gold cloth. Carl laughed as he pushed Gawain in. No, this was Carl's room. The door closed behind him. Gawain looked at Carl nervously. Uh, what was going on? Carl didn't look back, but instead stood smiling. He nodded toward the bed, to his wife, laying there, waiting. Gawain reiterated, uh, Seriously, what was going on? Two squires came from a hidden side room and, wordlessly, undid Gawain's armor. When it was off, they also took off his clothes. Standing there in whatever the medieval equivalent of underwear was, he asked Carl for a third time, What was going on? Carl said, simply, that he wanted Gawain to take his wife into his arms and kiss her. Now, while he watched... Gawain looked at Carl, who was quite serious. He looked at Mrs. Carl, who, with a nod, was beckoning him to bed. Gawain had expected a medieval house of horrors, 
not a couple who was into, you know, whatever this was. He pretty much expected he might have to fight Carl before the night was through anyway, so he might as well spend some time in the arms of a beautiful woman before he had to do so. With a nod, Gawain bowed before Carl, saying that his bidding would be done. Have no fear. Gawain dropped the rest of his clothes and jumped into bed. don't get graphic with these sorts of scenes, and this is no exception, but the story informs us that Gawain and Mrs. Carl kissed for a long time, and when things were about to get, well, more intimate, Carl stood from the gold-clothed couch, making a timeout tea with his hands. Alright, alright, good game, guys. Carl's wife immediately wrapped the sheets around her body and sat up in bed, looking at her husband. Gawain sat up too. Wait, what? They were just about to... Yep, Carl said. Gawain looked at Mrs. Carl, who just nodded politely. And they weren't going to... Nope, Carl said. Gawain looked at both of them. Okay, so what should he do now? Carl rose and immediately went all Gandalf, filling the room with his back to the fire, so he seemed to glow like a demon. What should Gawain do now? Gawain should die. But then Carl burst out laughing. Nah, just kidding. Hey, honey, you ready? While Carl had been threatening Gawain, Mrs. Carl had been putting her robe on. Yep, she was ready. As Carl and his wife walked toward the door, Carl shared that Gawain could have his room for the night. Oh, and there was something else. His wife wasn't in his power to give away. He wasn't King Mark of Cornwall. Ugh. But he could give Gawain someone that was in his power to give. He rapped on the door, and it opened from the other side. The girl from dinner, the harp player walked in. Carl said that this was his daughter. They had already talked it over, and she wished to spend the night with the famous Sir Gawain of Camelot, nephew of King Arthur. Carl asked if that was a sufficient replacement for his wife. With a grin, as he took Carl's daughter into his arms, he said that it was. Carl closed the door as the pair began to kiss. Arthurian legends are kind of a contradiction. Chastity, in some places, is a knightly virtue. But the writers, well, the writers know what sells. From Lancelot and Guinevere, to Arthur and Morgoth, to Tristan and Isolde, they're not above throwing chastity out the window. I think that's what they're doing here, because, as opposed to other works, and their obsession with virginity and proper behavior, remember the knights putting swords in between themselves and a woman sleeping in the same bed for image's sake? The story just kind of puts it out there that Gawain and Carl's daughter had a night of no-strings-attached fun. In the morning, Gawain asked the young woman when he was going to see her again, and she just laughed. It's kind of a shockingly modern series of events for a work from the 12th century, but hey, I guess what happens in weird, otherworldly Great Britain stays in weird, otherworldly Great Britain. Anyway, Gawain met Kay and Bishop Baldwin at breakfast the next morning, after the whole household went to Mass. Understandably, Kay and the bishop were eager to get back on the road to Camelot, after all, their time in this strange land had resulted in little more than humiliation and light brain damage. They were so close to getting out of there, something that, according to the stories of this place, should have been impossible. Carl stood from the table and announced that they would depart, with his blessing, no less. But first, he wanted to show them something. Kay and Baldwin were wary, but Gawain sat, 
cautiously optimistic. On the whole, he had had a pretty good trip so far. That is, until he saw Carl's murder room. It was a deserted building on the edge of his little town. The shutters were closed, and thick cobwebs gripped the corners of each window and door. Carl turned the key, opened the door, and a thick, dead stench poured from the room. Carl ducked as he entered and beckoned his guests inside, Gawain and Kay already at their hands on their swords, with Baldwin tucked safely behind them. When Carl laughed, they weren't in any danger anymore. It was over. They had passed the test. Hands still on their swords, Gawain and Kay entered the room. The floor was reddish-brown. Whether that was paint or blood was too difficult to say at this point. Piled from floor to ceiling in some places were the bones of those who had stayed before. A chateau de Carl. Blood-stained tunics with sigils of every sort fluttered in the rare breeze that passed through the room. Carl sat down atop one pile of bones, saying that he, well, he and his four animals, had done all this. It was 20 winters ago. 20 winters that he made a vow before God. It was a hasty vow, but it was a binding one. He vowed that no man should spend a night in his castle unless he did everything Carl asked him to do, or else he would be killed. Until last night. Until Gawain, no knight had survived the pledge. But now, he would abandon the custom, and all men would be welcome in his home. Gawain bowed low before Carl, saying that this was a just and magnanimous decision. Carl smiled. It was because he finally found a knight that lived his coat of honor, to the point that he would throw a spear at his face and sleep with his wife. Kay nodded. He was proud of Gawain for doing ever. Wait, what? Carl continued. For the sake of all these men who laid there slain, he would build a church on the spot and provide for ten priests singing prayers for their souls until doomsday. Gawain nodded. It was kind of a spotty consolation prize for not being alive, but sure, that was good enough. When at last they returned to their horses, they found them each laden with gold and rich tapestries. Next to Gawain's horse sat another rider on a palfrey. It was Carl's daughter. Let's say that Carl had talked it over with her, obtained her consent, and she was now offering to marry Sir Gawain. Gawain happily accepted, and the four rode off together. When they met up with King Arthur that afternoon, they told him the story of Carl and his castle, and King Arthur decided that he had to go meet this man for himself. With his retinue in tow, Arthur found Carl to be a kind and gracious host, and Carl readily consented to be a knight of King Arthur's court. He was dubbed Lord Carl of Carlisle, and he became one of the knights of the round table. Sir Carlisle, as he was called, did construct a church, the one that he promised, in addition to funding ten monks to say prayers there in perpetuity. That church is, supposedly, the Church of Carlisle, and it still stands to this day. This is a fun story and kind of represents a conquest of sorts for Arthur. Arthur is extending his rule over the wild and strange lands that, even though they're also in Great Britain, always represent some sort of other place. Some quick points. This marriage of Gawain is not canon for our podcast. He has a much more entertaining marriage story, where his wife actually has a name. That one's in Sir Thomas Mallory's Le Morte d'Arthur, and that's the one we're going to be going with. Also, if you have any familiarity with Great Britain at all, 
You know that Cardiff in Wales is like 300 miles from Carlisle. So it's kind of a long trek for two knights and a bishop to make in one go. Also, full disclosure, I read one source where Carl was referred to as Carl. But in most places, he's referred to as the Carl. With Carl being another name for a churl, which is another name for like a rude peasant. It was simpler and more fun to refer to him as Carl instead of the Carl. Next week, we're back in Irish mythology with more stories of Cúchulain, who finds love in fairyland. The only issue is that he's already married, and his wife and her posse of armed women aren't taking his infidelity lightly. The creature this week is Star Monkey from Kenya. Like the creature last time, this one is bound to a witch as they're familiar. A familiar is a spirit that's friendly to a witch and helps them out with their magic. It's usually made or conjured by the witch, and can take many forms. The star monkey, called the mandantane, is like a large, wide monkey whose body is covered in orange fur. It has pointed ears, a narrow head, dark, slitted eyes, and, because we all wonder how well-endowed mythological creatures are, the answer to that question for the star monkey is very. It's, uh, long and serpentine, if you're wondering. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I am very sure that I don't want to Google it. The star monkey knows magic, but its specialty is poisons. To fight the witch's enemies, it will often sneak into houses, which it can do pretty easily as it can turn invisible, and it'll poison the whole household. The poison is carried through the air, so one drop on the floor should do it. I'm quickly learning that you shouldn't make enemies out of folklore witches. The star monkey loves a glass of warm milk or a glass of warm blood, and they will get either from cows. They're often blamed for mysterious illnesses, no surprise there, and if you wanna keep them away, Keeping iron bars in your house is a good way to keep mythological creatures away in general. Or, with this one, you can get a witch doctor who can make a magical trap to catch it, paralyze it, and remove its powers. If you see the helpless star monkey caught in a trap, you should, under no circumstances, say, oh, hey, it worked. Because not only is that obvious, but then you'll immediately be proven wrong. And because of your words, the spell will break, and you'll have an angry, invisible monkey running around your house. There are some more recent and equally reasonable stories about the star monkey going around that it isn't the witch's familiar, but a race of aliens that, I guess, didn't get their animal disguises completely right. Apparently, they've come down to impregnate women and create a race of alien-human hybrids because I guess they saw the X-Files and thought that sounded like a cool idea. The way to avoid them is just by not sleeping on the floor. Eh, there. That's all you need to thwart an alien invasion of evil poison monkeys. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>